You guys can take a seat as we go into a time of ministry and prayer. Um, the Lord was just impressing on my heart as we were singing and worshiping and, and praising that he calls us to, to give not out of our uh, abundance. He calls us not to worship him out of our extra, our surplus, uh, but instead he calls us to give out of our lack, to, to worship out of, of what we actually don't have, being willing to give everything in order to him. And so various stories in the New Testament of where we see this take place. One is of the woman that went into the house and she poured open an expensive jar of perfume on Jesus's feet. Kind of an occurrence of giving out of abundance, but this woman is willing to absolutely give it all. Jesus tells a story of a widow who just gave essentially a dollar in the offering. And there was all sorts of religious people giving lots of money in this case. And Jesus said, no, this lady gave more than all of you gave. And then I'm reminded of the story of Mary Magdalene and her sister Martha. And Martha was so busy giving out of her abundance of gifts and skills and organization and cleanliness and OCD-ness. And Mary was just there um, at the feet of Jesus. She, she was just giving all that she had while her sister was giving all that she had, but that's not what Jesus wanted from her at that moment. There are several points of scripture where the Lord tells us that he desires mercy, not sacrifice. And so God's not just desiring of us just all of this stuff and all of this money and all of our religiosity. He desires from us mercy on others to receive mercy from him to hail the king that we just sang about, to, to actually kneel down and, and hail and worship and praise the king of kings and the Lord of lords, the one in which all knees will bow down and every tongue will confess. So that was the imagery I was getting during worship, but then right as I was about to come up and, and just encourage you and pray over you, I was reminded that I uh, went fishing and um, crabbing yesterday, and some people said, Pastor, you look tired today, and that's because I have a Dramamine hangover this morning. Um, but despite that, I, I don't want to give out of my uh, abundance of energy. I'm going to give out of my Dramamine hangover. Dramamine is not alcohol, by the way. Um, Dramamine is a, a very strong drug um, which makes it sound so much better. Very, very strong, uh, a very strong drug that is used to get rid of motion sickness. And so I'm, I'm not going to give out of my struggle or my weariness or my tiredness today. I want to give out of everything that God calls me to give. And as I was thinking of that, um, we were watching these crab pots be pulled up onto a boat yesterday. And each crab pot that came up, there was probably like 40 or so crabs that would come in this pot and you had to pick out all of the females and then toss them into the water because you can only keep the males. And then the males that were there, the small number of them, you had to measure them to make sure that they were big enough to keep. And so um, my friend uh, Rick Herman and I, we were, we were grabbing these crabs out. We were tossing them into the water. But there was something I was noticing about all of these crabs that we were trying to take out of the trap. We were trying to return them to their home is that they didn't want out of the trap. They were, not only did they not want out of the trap, not only were they so obsessed with getting to the bait that was in this trap, they were actually clinging on to the trap with all of their claws and all of their legs, and you had to forcefully remove them from the trap. And I wonder how many of us are stuck in a trap, not only of our own making, but we find ourselves in this trap that we're in, and we actually don't want out. And so some of us, are, our hearts are a trap where we are just desiring to worship God, but we've trapped ourselves inside because we're afraid of what people will think. We are afraid of what we might have to, in this case, let go of in order to worship. What do you need to let go of in order to worship today? Is it pride? Is it arrogance? Is it doubt? Is it fear? Is it confusion? Is it sin? What do you need to let go of in order to get yourself out of this trap to truly be able to experience and worship God. Because God wants everything that we have, and everything that God wants from us is for the best for us. Because to remove these crabs out of this trap, and, and as they were clinging in order to remove them out, we actually wanted, we didn't want to send the, the, the large males home. 
but we did want to send all of the other ones home. We wanted them to be free. We wanted them to experience um, true life. And so oftentimes God's trying to take us out of traps that we've made for ourselves with sin or with doubt or with fear, or with confusion or with arrogance or pride, and we're not willing to let go. And God just is saying to us this morning, he's saying to the church this morning, let go. Let go of the trap that you've allowed yourself in. Let go of the trap that you've built inside of your heart and surrender everything that you have to me. Surrender your focus, your energy, your time, your resources, your praises, your passions, your sexuality, your relationships, your very body. Surrender everything that you have to the Lord and everything that we have to give. What he has to give in return makes what we have to give pale in comparison. So God wants to pour out on us today a blessing until we have no more need. And this may sound like an offering talk because it involves money and, and giving and pouring out a blessing, but it, it doesn't involve money unless that's what you're holding on to. What it involves is our heart. Are you willing to let go of whatever is holding you back to worship the Lord today? Are you willing to pour out the expensive ointment on his feet? Are you willing to give your last dollar to him or to someone in need if that's what he calls you to do? Are you willing to sit down at his feet instead of working around your house? What is Jesus calling you to let go of today? Because he wants you to be freed up. He wants you to be unraveled. He wants you to be unbound. I was talking to a couple this morning at church who are a middle-aged couple, and they said, we've been coming to your church because we're encouraged by the fact that there's a lot of young people there. And where we came from, it was just so stuck and stagnant, and people were so stuck in their ways, and we just needed something new and, and, and fresh. We always encourage people to stay at the churches where, where they came from, but I, I enjoyed listening to what they had to share, is that they see God working in a younger generation. They see people passionate about the ways of God, the word of God, what God is calling us to do. And I want to invite you to be a part of that as well. I want to invite you to jump in and to let go of whatever is holding you back. And so would you just join me in prayer? I'm just going to pray a blessing over you today that you'd be released from whatever trap that you have made for yourself, whatever trap you find yourself in, whatever trap you're clinging on to today, would you let go of it in Jesus' name? So God, we, we thank you for um, each person gathered here today, each person joining us online, and we ask in the name of Jesus that we would see you trying to remove us from this trap as something that is good for us. God, may we not cling on tightly um, to the sins which easily hold us back? Would we not cling on so tightly to our identity when you want us to be transformed into your image? God, would we not hold on so tightly to our passions when you want us to be passionate about you? Lord, would we not cling so tightly to our fear, to our confusion, to our victim mentality? Lord God, may we not cling so tightly to the things which would destroy us. So God, I ask in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, and, and God just pressing on my heart right now, um, for those stuck in addiction, I just want to pray over a, a, pray a blessing over you that you'd be freed. God, for those clinging on to addiction, God, no one decided they wanted to be addicted. But it's a trap they found themselves in. And so, God, whoever's suffering this morning from addiction, um, we speak against and we speak freedom to addiction to alcohol in the name of Jesus. We speak freedom to and power over addiction uh, to, to drugs which are holding us back and which are keeping us trapped. We pray against that and pray for freedom and joy and peace in Jesus' name. God, we ask you for a freedom that we would let go of addiction to pornography, addiction to, to feeding a sexual side of us that you want us to enjoy in marriage, but we're finding it other ways. God, would you allow us to let go? I believe God's going to free some of you up this morning um, from, from pornography specifically, and some of you are thinking, I don't want to let go. It's okay. Let go. What God wants to pull you away from is far better far better than what you're clinging to. Let go in Jesus' name. God, would the enemy loosen his grip over their hearts and over their lives in the name of Jesus? Would they find freedom? 
God, whatever we find ourselves trapped in, would you release us in Jesus' name? As we raised a hallelujah and talked about fear not having a hold on us, God, would, um, would substances, would sex, would our own mindset not have a hold on us any longer? But Lord, would you give to us freedom? Would you open up the door so that those things would leave and that you would come in and take their place. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you guys so much for coming today. Thank you, Ryan and Susan, for leading us. We're going to worship here in a moment some more through song, but um, I'm just encouraged today by what God's wanting to do in your hearts, and I, I don't want to just jump off from this time of worship or, or time of ministry and prayer, and we're going to continue that um, through the preaching of God's word. Um, and I'll introduce our speaker here to you in just a moment. Um, but I did tell you over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be preparing you from what our, for what our church is going to be heading into over the late spring and summer. And um, on May the 14th, uh, Mother's Day is coming up. If you didn't know that, if you are a child of a mother uh, who is living or if you are a um, baby's daddy and you have a baby's mama, um, Listen carefully. Mother's Day is on May 14th. And so honor your mom, honor the mother of your children. Mother's Day is coming up on May 14th. But on May 14th, we're going to be starting a new series um, that we did not plan on starting here at Free Church, but God has been pushing us towards over the last couple months. And that's just called Open Doors. And we're going to be looking at what it means for God to open up doors in our lives for all that he has, just like we just prayed about. And for God to close doors that we are not supposed to go toward or not supposed to enter into and that he would open up doors for us to move into. How, how the Lord right now is raising up a generation, is raising up people to experience the power and the presence of God and that he's opening a door. This is a season of open doors for that. And so I'm going to invite you as this church, as free church over the next few months to really jump in and to seek to make an impact and a difference within our city, within our community. And we'll be sharing over the next three months how we're going to be doing that, but we are going to kind of take some, some pretty large turns as a church. Uh, we're going to do shift the way that we've done some things for a while and invite you to be a part of something bigger than, than what we've been a part of before. And so prepare your hearts for that. And I just want to, um, as I introduce our speaker, I just want to um, just share with you our mission as a church, why we're here. This is why we exist. The only reason I get up on Sunday morning and come to this place is for the mission that this church has, and that's this. It is to connect people to an everlasting, committed relationship with Jesus Christ and with others. And if we're not connecting with Jesus, and if we're not connecting others with Jesus, and by doing so, connecting with each other, um, each and every one of us are wasting every second of what we're doing right now. This is about Jesus Christ. We gather as a church, not to be religious, not to check something off of our to-do list, but we gather in church to be connected with Jesus, and then we disperse throughout our city to connect others with Jesus. And so we're going to be inviting you. How can you be a part of mission? How can you connect people in your life to Jesus? How can you connect yourself to others to connect other people to Jesus? And we're going to invite you along for that mission because it's the mission that Jesus gave the church, which was to go and make disciples of all nations. So how can you go these next couple of months, this next couple of years? How can you go and make disciples? And that's what we want to commit ourselves to as a church. And so come back next week. Or we're going to continue our Samson series. And I'm going to just keep sharing mission and vision and values that we have as a church. And we'll give you some some announcements and some ways that you can jump in and be involved as we start that series Open Doors in May, on May 14th. So all that being said, I'm going to invite up a speaker uh, today. Over the next three weeks, we have some in-house speakers. And the speaker that we have today, uh, I'll introduce him as, as one of my best friends. Um, he is also my nephew. Uh, he has also um, just seen God do some amazing things in his life over the last several years. And he has been a great um, system of support for myself, for my family, for our church, and um, is currently our high school youth leader under the leadership of Lydina Doherty. And he speaks every Wednesday night to our high schoolers. And um, there was a season where he was speaking um, pretty often here in our Sunday morning services. And today, um, he's stepping back into that again with really the most amazing series for him to do that. And 
Um, that is uh, Spencer Ivanko. If you could give him a hand, he's going to come up and share. That's awesome. Um, first off, I am so excited to be here this morning. I am excited to speak with you guys, to share some of God's word. Um, first and foremost, um, I want you guys to know that you are loved. God loves you. I love you. Your leadership here at this church love you. Genuinely in a world full of chaos and hate and discontent and just horrific things happening, it's good to be able to come to a place where you can know that you are loved, right? And it's a genuine, true love. So um, I just wanted to share that with you guys today. Also, um, as, as Anthony was opening up, which like, I mean, it's hard to follow that opening, right? We truly are blessed here to have a pastor like Anthony to be able to share God's word and and I know I've seen it time and again with him when God puts something on his heart. He steps out into that and shares it with us. So it's pretty awesome. Um, thank you, Anthony, for doing that. Um, but as Anthony was sharing, God kind of put on my heart that there are people in this room here today that need to hear what I'm going to preach about today. There's going to be people in here today that this directly applies to you. So take an opportunity to really press into God today and see what he has for you because he does have something for you today. Um, so a little bit about me. I am a husband of 13 years. I have four kids. Um, my oldest is 12. I have a nine-year-old daughter. My oldest is my son, Bentley. Um, my 12, uh, 12-year-old Bentley. My nine-year-old Paisley. And I have twins that are six, Hudson and Lincoln. So First and foremost, thank you to the individuals who lead kids' church and, and pour into their lives because I do see it. Anthony's right. We do pour into our younger generations here, and I see that every single Sunday. So thank you for that. Um, I don't really have a whole lot of hobbies or free time. A lot of people are like, oh, what do you do for fun? Well, I have four kids, so I don't really have time for fun because I have four kids at crazy ages and constantly chasing after them, and by the time you get done doing practice and games and everything else, just not a whole lot of time. Um, I also help out with youth group. I lead the high school boys uh, youth group. I also speak from, from time to time there, um, which, how many of my youth students are here? Raise your hand. Sweet. Um, parents, thank you for allowing your kids to come to youth. Um, I genuinely enjoy getting to spend time with them and pour into them because they show me every single Wednesday what God can do in a young person's life. And that's such a blessing and honor and it's a, such a strength in my testimony. So thank you for that. Um, so as my uh, youth students know, I don't really hold out my main points of my message to the end. I'll bring them up at the end, but I like to bring them up in the beginning. So if you could put those up on the, the screen for me, we're going to start out with, here's, here's my main points for this message, and we're going to focus on the first three, and then at the end we'll go through the rest of them. But uh, first and foremost, God has a mission and a purpose for each and every one of you. We can either choose to live for God or we can choose to live for ourselves. But he has a mission and a purpose for each and every one of you. Again, going back to that world full of chaos and confusion and craziness, God has a calling for you. And it might not be some spectacular, you're supposed to be the president of the United States. It may be something as small as you're supposed to go work a nine-to-five job for 45 years, and you're supposed to minister to those people that are around you. It could be something as small as that. It could be you could be the the stay-at-home parent who raises your kids and they go on to reach people. God has a calling for each and every one of you. So young people, know this. God has a calling and a purpose in your life for you, okay? So push into that. If we don't follow God's mission, 
we will struggle to find peace. If we're not following, actively chasing after what God has for us, we're going to struggle to find peace inside of ourselves. We're going to be always chasing the next great thing. We're going to be chasing the, the next great car or truck or more money or more power or whatever. There's going to be something that we're always chasing if we don't put God first. And lastly, true fulfillment is found when we follow after God's mission and calling in our life. Okay? That's true fulfillment. Again, our world preaches counter to that. They, they preach that true fulfillment is found in the world and the stuff you have and the, the people you're around and, and the things you do. But true fulfillment is following after God's mission and calling in your life. So as I'm going to be going through um, the, the second part of this series, we're going to be looking at Judges chapter 14 and 15. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to that. Um, my style of preaching is a little bit different. I like to tell stories, so I was super excited when Anthony's like, hey, you're going to have to summarize a lot of this, because I love storytelling. I'm you know, not trying to brag, but I think I'm good at it. I love to tell stories as opposed to just reading. So um, as we're looking at Judges, um, there's, there's a couple of things I want to really look at with Samson. First and foremost, the... Uh, Children's storybook Bible version of Samson showing this big, strong, ripped, jacked dude that was this awesome, wonderful guy. That is a straight lie. Okay, he, was, he led a train wreck of a life, and it started out when he was a young adult and just went down from there and didn't stop until he died. Okay, so just get that picture out of your head. Um, he... he his life was chaos, and it wasn't peaches and cream. It was horrible. So, um, and, and as we begin to really look at this, this story of young, uh, young adult life of Samson, there's some, some points I want you guys to consider and ponder as we do that. Who was Samson living for? Who was he serving? Who did he worship? And what was his maturity level? There's a saying I like to, to throw out there. Um, a boy who shaves. Does anybody know what a boy who can shave means? Basically, boy who can shave means you're in a man's body. The world tells you you're a man, but you're not really living and acting like a man, right? And that's Samson, as, we, as we'll see as we continue through the story. So we're going to start in chapter 14, and we're going to read verses 1 through 4. So Samson went down to Timnah. And at Timnah he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Then he came up and told his father and his mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. But his father and mother said to him, Is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all of our people that you must go and take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. His father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord, for he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. At that time, the Philistines ruled over Israel. So right off the bat, we're looking at Samson as he's coming into young adulthood. He's not off to a really great start. He's saying... First and foremost, God commanded the Israelite people to not marry outside or pursue people outside of the Israelite community. They were supposed to marry people inside the Israelite community. And Samson just looks out there and says, bam, I want her. Of course she is not an Israelite. And he's, he's really trying to fulfill his own desires. He doesn't care what that will lead to. He doesn't care what the ramifications of marrying one of the Philistines will be. All he cares about is, she's hot, I want her, get her for me. Me, 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 I, I, I. And I want to pause and really look at this. Samson's parents are scared to say no to him, right? Samson's mom and dad are like, well, like, God kind of said, like, well, can't you just find somebody within our community? Like, I'm sure there's somebody somewhere 
But then as soon as Samson throws a fit and says, nope, I want her, get her for me. Parents are like, well, okay, okay, we'll, we'll go do it, right? So they're too scared to even say no to him. And looking back to what Anthony was preaching last week of Samson's mother being barren and not being able to have children, I could definitely see where Samson's parents might be afraid to say no to him, might even begun to idolize him or make him their everything because he was frankly a blessing from God and their only child. So I could see why they might be a little afraid of that. But even that being said, when Samson's father kind of puts up that, that half-meager attempt to be like, well, can't you find somebody else? They buckled as soon as he said no. That seems a lot like today. In today, today's society, kids more often than not run their parents. Kids tell their parents what's going to happen, what they want, when they want it. They throw a fit. And then their parents buckle and hand it to them. Is that a common running theme or am I just crazy? Yeah. So there's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of parents out there that are not only buckling to their kids and their demands on them, but there's parents out there that are even encouraging children to sin, encouraging children in their fleshly, worldly desires, which is completely wrong. God has placed those children and those parents to watch over them and to steward over them. And if you're encouraging your children to go into that sin, that's wrong, okay? So the other portion of this that I really want to look into, because people could, could mistake this, it's kind of confusing. Um, the, the portion 14.4 four, uh, 14, says, his father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord, for he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. The point on this is, like, I want everybody to get it out of their head right now. God never condones sin. God never changes his word. God never goes back on what he said. What God says is eternal and never changing. So this is not God saying, yep, Samson, it's okay, go ahead and go sin, go marry somebody outside of the Israelite community. That is not in any way what this is saying. What this is saying, this verse is saying right here, is saying that God knew Samson was sinning, but he's going to take Samson's sin, and he's going to use it to fulfill his purpose. So he's going to take what was meant for evil, and he's going to turn it to good. He's going to turn it. To his mission. So we'll continue here. Uh, 14, 5 through 6 says, Samson went down with his father and mother to Timnah, and they came to the vineyards of Timnah, and behold, a young lion came toward him roaring. I want to pause right there. Has anybody seen a mountain lion in real life? Like in the wild. Okay. They are scary. Scary, right? They're big, they're scary, they're quiet. Um, quite a while ago, I was out with my friend. We were out hiking around in the woods, um, like we oftentimes did, and we found cougar tracks, and we're like, man, we're going to track this thing and see if we can find it. Because, you know, we're invincible, we're young, we're dumb, we're going to be able to kill anything that comes our way, right? We're going to be able to protect ourselves. So we're like, what the heck, why not? So we start tracking this, this uh, cougar. We go about a quarter mile. We end up circling back right to where we started. That's kind of weird. So this cougar knew we were tracking it and circled back right to where we were. And right where we started, there was a vantage point that the cougar had climbed up to to where it had the high ground, right? It had the position of advantage and was staring down at us. And at that point, I literally was scared to death because that thing had outsmarted me. I thought I was going to get the upper hand. I thought I was going to track it down. But it had tracked me and my friend. And at that point, we're like, okay, like, we're just going to leave back out of here quietly. And we literally left after that and, like, got out of there. It was scary. Um, so this lion comes towards Samson. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and although he had nothing in his hands, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. But he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. 
So on this journey, this lion comes out and attacks Samson. And Samson, just like the stellar dude that he is, grabs the lion and rips it apart. Um, doesn't say anything to his parents about it. And, and what's important about this is when it mentions the Spirit of the Lord coming upon somebody, that's the Old Testament saying God empowered them to do a feat, whatever it was. In this case, God empowered Samson with great strength. So now we need to look at this. A lot of times the, the pictures you see of Samson are this giant ripped guy, uh, massive, like somebody you'd see like a steroid pumped bodybuilder, right? But I'm going to, to propose this. I don't think Samson was some massive, strong, statured guy that was bigger than everybody else. I think he was probably an average-sized guy going about his average life. And God would empower him with these great strengths. So this is not anything Samson was doing, because if Samson was this, this massive, jacked guy, he might be able to boast to these feats himself. So that's where I think he was more of just an average-sized guy. God would give him these strengths, and so it's important to look at these as as every time it says this in the story of Samson, he talks about these God empowering him or rushing over him. That's when God's empowering him to do a feat. Now, I'm sorry if people get a little squeamish on this, but I always like to be able to connect with the Bible. I was talking with my wife about this this morning. When you actually start looking at the Bible and breaking it down and applying it to real life, if you, if you just pause and take the word Bible out of it and just talk about what the Bible talks about, it, it helps you understand and see what the Bible's trying to say to be able to relate it to today. So um, recently I had the opportunity to hold the baby goat. So I held the baby goat. They are cute. They're precious. They're like walking all around. They're all like fuzzy and soft. And I never understood with the story of Samson what they would mean about being able to tear apart a baby goat. But being able to do that with a goat being as small as they are when they're first born is, is very plausible. So that kind of helped me relate to the amount of strength that Samson had. And it's also interesting to me in this passage, passage of Scripture, Samson's the only child, so I would assume that he's probably talking with his parents a lot, but for whatever reason, he doesn't mention killing this lion. Like, if I shot a mountain lion, I would be bragging about it, right? Like, let alone with my bare hands being able to rip it apart, dude, I would be telling everybody I came into contact with, check me out, I'm the guy who can rip a lion apart. Like, look at this, but he doesn't say anything. And, I, and, and we're not really sure why, but he doesn't. So, continuing our story, as, as Samson goes down to Timna to meet the, uh, the, the lady of his dreams, he goes down and, and the Bible says that she was right in his eyes. So I would impress this upon you. I'd, I'd put this out there. I don't believe that Samson fell in love with this woman. I don't believe Samson knew anything about her personality or had any interactions with her. I don't think that he was really in love. I think it was, you're hot, I want to marry you. I think it was just strictly based off of physical attributes and features, and that's why he pursued her. So let's take a quick vote. Dads, raise your hand. Okay, so dads, go ahead and put your hands down. If you think it's a good idea to allow your child to get married based physically off of physical attributes, raise your hand. That's funny. Not one of you raised your hand. That's because it's not right to do that, okay? So 14.8.9 says, After some days he returned to take her, his wife, and he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. And behold, there was a swarm of bees in the body of the lion and the honey. He scraped it out into his hands and went on eating it as he went. And he came to his father and mother and gave some to them, and they ate. But he did not tell them that he had scraped the honey from the carcass of a lion. So... First and foremost, I always question when my kids 
or kids in general hand me something to eat because you never know where that is coming from. I always want to know if you washed your hands prior to, did it come straight out of the package or have you been holding on to it for the last 20 minutes? Because I've seen kids do that, you know, like here's a Hershey's bar that I have been holding on to for the last five minutes and it's warm and gooey. Like, no, thank you. So, it's, and, it, and, the, and the fact that Samson's a grown man doing that, it's kind of a little weird, you know, but, but Samson keeps silent, doesn't tell his parents where he gets it from, but behind this, there's, there's, there's a reason. So Samson was a Nazarite. He wasn't supposed to touch dead bodies as part of the, the Nazarite vow, and him going in and removing the honey would be a blatant violation against his vow. So he engages in sin against his vow, and he removes the honey, and he doesn't tell his parents. So he's scared, I think, in this situation to tell his parents about getting the honey because he would have had to have touched a dead animal or something dead. So how does that apply to us today? Well, frankly, it applies to us today because how many times do we engage in sin and we kind of just don't say anything about it and sweep it under the rug and move on. Happens quite a bit. I know it happens with me. I'm sure it happens with you guys. But God sees that. And the Nazarite vow was supposed to be a vow between that individual and God, not between the people. It had nothing to do with everybody else. It was all about God and that individual. And Samson seems like he's living more religious as opposed to living up his vow. So let's keep going here as, as we keep moving through the story. Samson's father went down um, essentially to go finish up all the marriage arrangements with Samson's soon-to-be father-in-law, which again, raise of hands, parents, for those of you that are like, yeah, if the guy doesn't have uh, the ability to come down and make the plans for the wedding. I want that to, you know, be the person my daughter marries. Like, raise a hand. Is anybody? No, again, nobody. So, so again, this just shows Samson's maturity level. He can't even plan his own wedding or have anything to do with his own wedding. He's making his mommy and daddy take care of it all. But what he can do is prepare the feast. He's a good party planner. So he... He sets up the party, and I love biblical parties because, dude, they, they know how to party. Seven days worth of feasting and partying. Seven days. I would probably get burned out after, like, three, but still, I mean, like, seven days, like, that's a pretty cool party. But again, as we're looking at this, there was most likely alcohol served at this party. Samson could have drinking the alcohol. So, again, that goes back to what type of vow... Samson breaking his vow, and, and how does that look? So at that point, looking at Samson, the only part of his vow that he's actually living by is his, his luscious locks, which I do not have, clearly. Um, it's okay. I'm bald by choice. Um, that being said, like my nickname at youth group, if you haven't heard, is Mr. Clean. Um, so I have to make sure I keep that up and shave my head. Otherwise, uh, you know, I won't be Mr. Clean. Um, so the only thing that, that Samson's living by is, is his outward appearance. And this is something that we struggle with a lot today. Christians of today oftentimes will say they're Christian and will, will post Bible verses on, on social media and will say these awesome quotes and we'll go to church on Sunday, but the other six days of the week, we're not living up to what God's called us to do. We turn our back on what God's called us to do and our mission and our purpose. It happens all of the time. And I have a personal story about that I'll, sh I'll share at the end where I walk through that. But just looking at this, Samson's faking his vow, but keeping up the outward appearance. So anyways, we'll, we'll move on with our story here. As Samson's, you know, throwing this party, his wife's there. They're having a great time. We're going to start to see Samson's only child trickster syndrome that he has here and his cockiness and his arrogance and his pride. So Samson 
puts out to the, the men at the party, hey, I bet you I'm smarter than all of you. I have a riddle that I guarantee you none of you will be able to find out. So that piques the interest, right? Nothing piques guys' interest more than competition, right? Oh, I want to sit there and be like, yeah, I'm smarter than you. I'm better than you. I'm stronger than you. I'm faster than you. That's what guys do. And if you're a guy and you're not, like saying no, like you're not being honest with yourself. Really, we, we like competition. It's okay. Um, so it, it, the, the Philistines are sitting there going like, yeah, like, okay, let's, let's put a bet on this. So the bet is that they have seven days to figure out a riddle that Samson's going to tell. And the wager is 30 pieces of linen and 30 garments. Now, I, I'm not high speed and cool, and I don't know, like, what that translates into today's, like, dollar amount or whatever. But I will tell you, later on in the story, they talk about it's a fortune, right? So it's a lot of money. There's some very high stakes here. And at that point, they set the, the bet, and, you know, Samson's not some guy of, you know, a lot of wealth. So he's got a lot of confidence that he's going to trick these guys. So he puts out this riddle, and here's what the riddle says. It's 14.14 says, And he said to them, Out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. And in three days, they could not solve the riddle. So he puts this out there and he says, here, here's my riddle. And goes on to say in three days they couldn't figure it out. And one of the cool facts about this that I didn't know until I started really searching into the story and, and doing research was this is the actual only full riddle in the Bible, which is kind of a cool side note fact. Um, it's the only riddle in the Bible. So as we're moving through our story, we get to the fourth day of the party. Samson's wife is at the party, and the Philistine men come up and say, Hey, come here. We need to talk to you. Now, it's a little weird that they wouldn't talk to both Samson and his wife, right? They kind of get her off probably on, their, on her own, and they're like, Hey, did you bring this guy here to make us poor? Like, we can't figure out this bet, and we're going to lose and you're going to make us poor because we won't be able to pay up on this bet. So you need to figure out what the answer is to this riddle or we're going to kill you. And your dad and your whole family. We're going to burn you alive. That's what, what the Philistines say to her. So they threaten the wife. And this is where we kind of start seeing Samson might have made a poor decision in the wife that he chose. Because we start to see that, you know, maybe there's some unhealthy traits about this. First of all, if the people your wife hangs out with are willing to kill you over a bet, might be uh, a little bit unhealthy, weird, bad, I don't know. Um, so we start seeing here the pride of the Philistines. They don't want to lose this bet, and they're willing to kill a whole family over it. So what does the wife do? This is not all women, by the way, but Samson's wife does this. She turns on the waterworks. She starts nagging. She starts, Samson, I'm your wife. You, you haven't even told me the answer to this bet. Like, everybody, everybody is, you know, trying to figure it out, and, and you haven't even told me. Why not tell me, Samson? And Samson's like, I haven't even told my parents. Why would I tell you? Like, does that seem unhealthy to you that, like, he's telling his wife, like, I, I haven't even told my parents. Like, first and foremost, like, your wife should know everything. But, you know, again, this isn't the best selection of women. So, anyways, she continues and keeps it up. And finally, Samson, like every man, eventually, when you're getting that much pressure from a certain individual, cracks. <sighs> Again, this is not all women, okay? Not all women do this, okay? And he tells his wife the answer to the riddle. Day seven comes, and I can just see the Philistine men walking into the tent, like throwing the flap open, like, hey, guess what, Samson? We got the answer to your riddle. 
here's what it is. And they tell Samson the riddle answer, and Samson straight up calls him out. And I love the way the Bible uh, puts it. I'll let you guys read that. But basically, Samson calls him out for pressuring his wife. Now, where Samson goes wrong in this, instead of protecting his wife, like a good husband should, he just calls him out and goes on with his day. But Samson's such a stellar dude. He's like, I'm going to pay up on my bet. I made a bet. I'm going to pay up on it. I lost. Whether or not you pressured to kill my wife, uh, you know, whatever, I'm going to go pay up on it. So what does he do? Being the stellar dude he is, the spirit of the Lord rushes upon him. He goes out and finds 30 men and kills them. Takes her clothes. Brings it in. Hands it over. And I just have this picture in my mind. Again, like I try to always put myself in the Bible. I have this picture of like him handing over these shirts and pants and stuff. And like the Philistines like, why is there blood on it? Why is there a hole in the cell? What is going on? And Samson's just like, Shh, don't worry about it. It's, it's fine. It's fine. Just, just don't worry about it. It'll wash out. Put a little bit of vinegar in there when you're doing it. It'll get it out. You're fine. So, and, and, and in true only child baby syndrome, he throws a giant tipper tantrum. And what does he do? Runs home to mom and dad. So I'm going to go hang out with mom and dad now. Cool. I'm going to leave my wife. I'm going to leave my father-in-law. Let's go hang out. I'm going to throw a temper tantrum, pay up on my bet, and then I'm going to go hang out with mom and dad. That seems like a stellar husband move right there. Anyways, we'll, we'll, we'll keep going here. So after some time, Samson cools down, decides, you know what? I am married. I should probably go see my wife. I'm done eating all mom and dad's food. Let's go hang out with the wife for a little bit. So he picks up another baby goat. Baby goats. <laughs> I mean, they are cute. I'll give them that. That's a good, like, I'm sorry gift, right? Like, here's a baby goat, honey. I'm sorry I just abandoned you and left you here. So he shows up to go talk to his wife. And when he shows up, father-in-law's like, Hey, uh, yeah, you can't come in. Samson's like, why not? I want to go visit my wife. I got this baby goat here. So cute. Look at him dancing around. Like, He's like, well, I thought you didn't like her and you hated her, so I gave her to your best man. Samson's like, huh? Yeah, I, I gave my daughter away to your best man. But Samson's father-in-law has got a plan. I got another daughter that's younger and better. She's the 2.0 version. You can have her instead. It's a really bad family. Don't, like, if you're single right now, if you're, like, trying to find a spouse, if your future in-laws are doing this, run away. The other direction, okay? So, Samson storms off, and we pick up here in chapter 15, verses 3 through 5. And Samson said to them, This time I shall be innocent in regard to the Philistines when I do them harm. So Samson went and caught 300 foxes and took torches, and he turned them tail to tail, and put a torch between each pair of tails. Animal rights activists would have a heyday if this happened today. I'm just like thinking about that. And, and I'm also thinking about how much time would that take to catch 300 foxes? Like that's a lot of time. But you know, he's plotting vengeance. He's going after it. And when he set fire to the torches, he let the foxes go into the standing grain of the Philistines and set fire to the stacked grain and the standing grain, as well as the olive orchards. What's interesting about this is Samson makes this statement, this time I shall be innocent in regard to the Philistines when I do them harm. The reason why this is interesting is this is the beginning of the end of the story of Samson. 
this is where Samson starts taking revenge and truly going after the Philistine people. Do you remember how earlier it said God was looking for a way for the, to raid against the Philistines, to go against the Philistines? This is, this is the beginning of the end. This is where it really starts, where, where Samson really starts going after the Philistines. So this would have made a massive impact on the Philistine people. So after harvest season, we're talking about impacting their food reserves for winter. We're talking about the entire nation's supply being damaged. So this wouldn't have just affected a few people. This would have caught the attention of the entire Philistine nation. They would have instantly said, who did this and why? So the Philistines start inquiring who did this, and they gather their information. They're basically like, well, it was Samson. And Samson did it because his father-in-law, when he threw a temper tantrum, gave his wife away to his best man. And so he's pissed off about that, so he went and burned all of our food. So what do the Philistines do? They decide, we're going to kill that man and his daughters. We're going to burn them alive. So it's, it's ironic that the, the very thing that Samson's wife was trying to avoid happening to her ended up happening later on down the road in the story. She tried to avoid it, and she went about it the wrong way, handling the situation. And so she ended up having it happen to her later. And the other important part of this, and like younger people, single people, like hear me out on this, like the, the two biggest things that you will ever do in your life, the two most important decisions you'll ever make in your life are this, who you worship and who you marry. Those genuinely are the two most important decisions you will make in your life. Because Samson chose to live for himself. Samson chose to worship himself and his pride. And in doing that, he made the decision to marry somebody he wasn't supposed to marry. And it started off this entire path, this freight train of destruction, by the fact that he didn't worship God and follow after God's mission. And he married somebody he wasn't supposed to marry. So as we continue our story, we see the Philistines raise an army. They go camp outside of Lehi. They make a raid on it. And they basically sit out there and wait. So that the people of, of Lehi go, hey, why are you doing this? And the Philistines are like, well, your boy Samson burned all of our food, so we're going to come get him. So as we're, we're in this, the Philistines are hanging out. There's 3,000 men of Judah that decide they're going to go get Samson for him. Telling the Philistines, hold off, we'll go get Samson, we'll bring him to you. Don't come in here, don't hurt us. So they come down to where Samson's at. By the way... Samson's hiding in the rock. He knows what he did was going to create a giant issue and there would be people looking for him. So what does he do? He goes and hides. He doesn't stand out and be like, yeah, I did that. He goes and hides. So there's 3,000 men that show up and they're like, hey, we need to take you to the Philistines. They want you. Samson, there's this weird exchange where Samson's like, well, you're not going to hurt me, right? They're like, no, we're just going to tie you up and hand you over so they can kill you. We don't want your blood on our hands, but we're going to hand you over to them. Oh, Samson's like, okay, cool, cool, tie me up, yeah, I'll go. So Samson goes, the 3,000 men of Judah go, and they start marching to where the Philistines are camped. What's interesting about this is if you look at the history of all the judges prior to Samson, this is typically in the story where the judge will raise up an army to stand up against the oppressors and free the Israelites from their oppression. So this is the buildup to where almost every single story of the judge, there's an army raised, and they overcome 
their oppressors. Samson has the, the possibility here to rally men behind him to go defeat the Philistines and utterly break their grip on the people. But in true Samson fashion, he just kind of wings it. He's like, cool, yeah, go give me over to him. Doesn't tell him anything. And we're going to pick it up in 15, 14 through 17. When he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting to meet him. The spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and the ropes that were on his arms became as flax that had caught fire, and his bonds melted off of his hands. Again, animal rights activists, close your ears. He found a fresh jawbone of a donkey and put out his hand and took it, and with it he struck 1,000 men. And I'm going to pause right there because one of the things that I just could not like wrap my head around, like if I was in the Philistine army and I was guy, I don't know, number 500, after I see the first 500 dudes like get taken out by Samson, like, dude, I'm not going to go up against that. Like that's 500 dudes. Like, but it took the 1,001 soldier to be like, Guys, this is not a good idea. Let's go to retreat. It takes a thousand men. But that shows you the pride of the Philistines. They're saying, hey, these are God's people and we're keeping them down under our thumb. We're able to make them submit to us. We can just keep sending men, right? That's their pride getting in the way. And Samson's like, man, I'm here for it. I got this uh, donkey jawbone and I'm just going to go to town. So as he's, as he's striking all these men down... And eventually they, they wisen up and the Philistine army runs away. This is what Samson says. With the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps. With the jawbone of a donkey, I have struck down a thousand men. As he finished speaking, he threw the jawbone out of his hand. And the place was called... Ramoth, Lehi, which means the hill of the jawbone. That's pretty intense. Like, that's a sweet story, in my opinion. I mean, you're able to go take out a thousand men that are trying to attack you. That's pretty awesome. That's why I read it like that. But anyway, so we're looking at the standoff between the Philistines and the men of Judah. The potential is there for a great victory of Israel the potential is there for Samson to lead all these men into battle and to utterly destroy the Philistines, but he doesn't. He wastes the gift that God gives him. God gives him his spirit and rushes upon him and gives him the strength. That would have been a great rallying point. Like, would you follow a guy that just single-handedly killed a thousand men into battle? I would. But Samson decides he's just going to walk off. And not only just walk off and walk away and, and abandon the 3,000 men, he starts whining to God. And he basically cries out to God, Hey, God, I had this awesome battle today. I did so great. I killed 1,000 men. I know you helped me do it and everything. But, like, I'm really thirsty, and if you don't give me a drink, I'm going to die. So God answers his prayer, even though he's very self-centered, and creates a well to come up, and Samson drinks satisfied feels good and he's like all right peace guys see you later so samson leaves after defeating the thousand men he does not rally the armies to follow after him he does not push into god instead he uses god as a as a genie demanding water from him and only thinking about himself like i said if you read the story of the judges before samson that was always an opportunity for the Israelites to break the control that their oppressors had. So as we begin to, to wrap this up, um, go ahead and put the big ideas up on the screen for me here. Um, while God used Samson for a great victory, Samson wasted the opportunity. And I, I said I was going to share with you my testimony in this, 
Um, about seven years ago, I was really involved in ministry. Um, I loved doing it. I was like a new God had called me to be in ministry. And for what I thought at the time, all the right reasons, I stepped down from that ministry. And, um, you know, for, for me, it was like, oh, I'm going to step down because I need to, you know, spend more time with my family. Uh, my, my twins were about to be born. So I was like, man, I, my life's going to get really busy and chaotic. So I'm just going to step down for a season. And, and it didn't feel right when I stepped down and when I stepped back. And me stepping back, I could have never have thought or imagined when I stepped down from God's calling in my life that it would lead me into the worst place that I've ever been in my life and the hardest season that I had ever experienced in my life. And it didn't happen all at once. It wasn't just like the next day I was done. I didn't, you know, I was in a terrible place. It was, it was a progression over time thing after thing happened with me and because I was choosing to live for myself and not live out God's mission and calling in my life progressively I started declining till eventually I hit rock bottom my life was a mess things were in shambles I wasn't living for God I was living for myself I was refusing to follow after what God had and I was wasting the gifts and the opportunities that God has given to me. And I remember there was a pivotal moment where, where I stopped and I realized why I was at where I was at. Because I not put God as my number one and I put something else above my priority with God, it allowed room, even though I had good intentions, it allowed room for other things to come in between me and God. And it affected me, and it affected my family, and it affected work, it affected everything. Every part of me was affected by the fact that I chose to not pursue what God had called me to. And in that moment, I realized I have to put God as my number one, and I have to put Him as my priority and so I did, and it's not like everything all of a sudden turned around and my life was 100% better and I became a millionaire and I had this dream job and everything was great and everything that had happened didn't matter anymore. No, it, it wasn't like that. What happened is I was still in the same position I was in, but my heart changed. My mind changed. My spirit changed. And as soon as my heart, my mind, and my spirit changed, it didn't matter what I was going through and dealing with in my life because God had it and I knew God had it. And he led me through that time to be able to reclaim my mission on my life and God blessed me greater than I could even imagine. So he took my sin and he took me living for myself and when I turned back to him, use that to bless me. Like, we serve an awesome God. He is bigger and more powerful than anything in this world. And he blesses us and cares for us even when we don't deserve it. So going through our main points here one more time. God has a mission and a purpose for each and every one of us to fulfill. We can either choose to live for, in God's calling, walking with him, or we can live for ourselves. If we don't follow the mission God has placed on us, we will struggle to find peace. True fulfillment is found when we follow God's calling or mission in our lives. Even when we are living in sin, God can still use us. God can take your sin, no matter how big it is, and use it for his glory. And finally, this, this is for every single one of you. It doesn't matter if you're five 
or you're 90. It's never too late to turn back and follow God's mission and calling in your life. It's never too late. Samson's story would have turned out completely different had he have followed God the way he was supposed to. God still used him, but his story would have been completely different. And as we're beginning to wrap this up, if you could just bow your heads, close your eyes. Um, we're going to have leaders up here in the front to, to pray over you. If you're struggling in any way with trying to find or embrace or know your purpose or your calling in your life, I encourage you, come up, get prayer. See what God has for you. Just start eliminating those distractions right now. Really press into God and see what he has for you. And if you haven't made that choice or decision today to turn your life over to Jesus and to meet him and to embrace him as your Lord and Savior, I would encourage you, today is the day to do that. Because you won't find joy or fulfillment in the things of this world. You're going to find that in Jesus. And if you say today is the day that you're going to give your life to God and live for his mission, come up and get prayer. Um, come and talk to us. Find a leader. Have a conversation with us. But just press into God right now. Just close us out in prayer, and then we're going to sing a a song, and just use this time to really reflect on God and his mission in your life. God, we thank you so very much for this time. We thank you, God, for your blessing in our life. We thank you, God, that even though we don't deserve it, you bless us. We thank you, God, that even when we mess up and we sin and we're not living for you, that you are walking beside us in life and that you know the outcome and that you can use that for good. God, I pray that anyone here who is struggling with identity, God, that they would they would know that you, their identity is in you and that their mission and calling is in you and that you will open their hearts and minds. And I just ask these things in your name. Amen.